a wrong note becomes a right note depending on the note that follows it. This, that second note acclimatizes the first note. It gives it a home, a context, a, a place to lay its head. And you could look at it another way, that a wrong note, um, or what we might describe as discord, is, is only ever wrong when that note stops moving. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Joshua Stamper is a composer and collaborator on projects that cross genres and disciplines, from jazz, classical, and avant-garde music, to film, dance, visual art, and poetry. He even collaborates with architects. He's in the middle of a hugely ambitious project he calls Elements. It explores new and different relationships between disciplines. What happens, he asks, when choir becomes sculpture, space becomes instrument, architecture responds to touch, when the movement of dancers changes the music they are dancing to. Most importantly, what do these possibilities suggest about how we might live alongside one another? I was thrilled when Joshua Stamper agreed to discuss these ideas with me for this episode of the Habit Podcast. Joshua Stamper, I'm uh, very happy to have you on the Habit Podcast today. Thanks for being here. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. So, uh, how do you describe your you're a composer, but you also do these these installations? Is that is that fair to say? Or how do you describe your what is your art form? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Well, I'm I'm yes, I'm primarily a composer, but but I am well. It, ever since I started uh, started writing music uh, and studying more formally, I was I was always drawn towards the the relationships between. Or sort of the maybe the edges or the margins between different genres of music, and uh, what happens when you when you bring these two uh, discrete forms of classical and jazz, for example, when you bring them into closer proximity, what what kinds of uh, what, what kind of static electricity starts to mm-hmm. uh, be created and. And that's um, as as I've as I've gone through the years that that interest has expanded to more and more different types of music, and then and then to more and more types of artistic disciplines, mm-hmm. uh, and then be, and beyond that, now I'm in a place where I'm where I'm there's a pretty robust dialogue with all kinds of different academic disciplines as, mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, so I yeah, said I use the word uh, installations. Is, is that even true? Is that even correct? Or did I mis- misspeak? Well, I, no, I mean, I think that's an interesting word. I, I think that there is, uh, I mean, there's in the, in the work that I'm doing, there's, it's, there's certainly a performance element to it, but it's all, but, but there are all these other components that are often at play, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, different ways for audiences to engage. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about this, your, your project that you're, I guess, kind of in the middle of, uh, elements is four part this four part transdisciplinary series as as you right. uh, call it and um 
you know, my familiarity with it is just from your your website. And it's kind of hard to get a grasp on what you're even up to uh, from that. It feels like <laughs> something that you need to experience. And the website isn't, you know, it, it looks fascinating and I just can't quite get my head around it. So could you you just tell me what what element sure. is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it is a it is a lot to try to boil down uh, in the frame of a website is uh doesn't quite accommodate right. yeah. <laughs> what it's it's uh scope but yeah it's a it's a four-part series where each part is looking at the four classical elements uh one of the four classical elements water air fire and earth and how those are manifest inside of philadelphia history and culture i i've been living in uh uh, greater Philadelphia for the past 15 years and and it's looking at the 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 ways in which each of those elements represents both the the necessary conditions or contributes to the the is absolutely essential to the thriving of human beings and at the same same time represents a a, a pretty serious uh, liability to the thriving of human beings. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So for example, the first part, uh, is hinged to water mm-hmm. and that, uh, is looking at the Schuylkill and the Delaware rivers, which are, which border Philadelphia and the, the really complex relationship that those rivers mm-hmm. had throughout Philadelphia's history to the city itself. Uh-huh. Um, the way that the rivers, um, uh, created community separated community both human and and non-human community mm-hmm. um and uh yeah it, it, so as an example and then the second chapter is about air and looking at um uh well that that that's also looking at at text and word and and the 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 sort of our relationship to our own texts um, and those texts being kind of always in motion. And, uh, and then the one that I'm working on right now is uh, uh, about fire and yeah. the relationship between fire and the city is, uh, is, is, is really, really remarkable and in, in the, in fire as both a, uh, a constructive force, but a, and a destructive fact um, yeah. that it is both of those things at the same time. Yeah. And then, and then earth, there's a prototype that I'm working with that involves a, I'm working with a, actually for both fire and uh, earth. Uh, I'm in collaboration with an architecture team that's based in Philadelphia. Um, uh, the, the firm is called Kieran Timberlake. Uh, incredibly brilliant people. And, uh, for earth we've created this the the beginnings of a new instrument that's made out of terracotta um (laughs) that explores uh uh, all kinds of themes around uh home and uh what it means to create (laughs) create home and new sounds and and earth or i mean terracotta actually means burnt earth which is an interesting um it means burnt earth you said it does yeah yeah um (laughs) I know I, I thought it was funny that you you know, felt the need to invent your own instrument for this uh, for this this thing, <laughs> um, but 
there one thing you you're doing i was i was looking at the the fire the 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 fire chapter of uh elements and was seeing saw that you're you're doing something with hyperlinks so somehow could you help me understand that somehow the the musicians who are playing this composition will what does the hyperlinking have to do you you said something it says something like this is a work for tablet hyperlink and and uh, quartet or something. I, I can't remember the specifics. Yeah, right. So tell me about that, yeah, how, sure. how that works. It's so interesting. Yeah. So I, um, yes, the, the pieces for uh, tablet hyperlinks, string quartet and percussion sextet. Yeah. And the, the way that it, the score works, it's, it doesn't operate like a, like a traditional score, which, you know, reads first page to last page, left to right. Um, every, every musician is reading off of their music off of tablets, which increasingly is, is the way that musicians are working. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, on each page of each musician's music, there are these collections of, of links. Mm -hmm. And when a musician, let's say the cellist, for example, when they get to measure 14, they encounter five different links. Uh, mm -hmm. for example, and, uh, they can click on any one of those five links and that will shoot them to a different part of the score. Uh, and, uh, and each musician has, has, is in, encountering the same kind of thing on their own music and in the links for each musician is, are they're, they're, those, they're placed in different places according to, uh, you know, phrase endings or phrase, phrase beginnings. And so what ends up happening throughout the course of a performance is that all 10 musicians end up, end up uh, taking independent routes through the master score. And so each performance is completely unique to that, to that moment. Um, it's a, uh, the, the piece is, it's it is a piece, but it's also it's a completely different piece with each performance. Every performance is a premiere. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I, I just find that so interesting. And and you know the the way I think and talk about art making, you know, I spend a lot of time on the idea of creating order out of chaos. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to hear you. I'd like to hear your your thoughts on what's your relationship to order and chaos. Because on the one hand, you just described something that that sounds a tad chaotic, um, <laughs> at least. Right. It, it, but it's it, chaotic's not really the right word. It's complex. It's contingent, right? It's it's not sure. um, one you know one thing leads to to another, kind of yeah. in the way that that human interactions are complex uh and contingent um yes so tell me about that you 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 seem to yeah no i, I so appreciate complexity that. than than maybe i would be <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I really appreciate that distinction um and you're right uh, art the idea that art is making order out of chaos that that, that idea it doesn't feel quite right to me it, that, mm -hmm. that it feels kind of like trying to tame the sea. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's beyond my powers, certainly above my pay grade. And, <laughs> uh, and also, honestly, the notion feels a bit presumptuous, uh, mm. hubristic <laughs> and disconnected with reality. It's sort of like Don Quixote charging at windmills. <laughs> and, um, and to that point, it, it makes art fundamentally, I, I think it makes it, it fundamentally about conquest where the, mm. the relationship between order and chaos is, is inherently antagonistic and that the charge of the artist is to vanquish chaos and plant the flag of order mm. where I must conquer the thing that I don't understand or that I can't control. And none of that appeals to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's in part because I think it's incons inconsistent with what I observe in the world, mm -hmm. as you say, in human interaction and certainly in the natural world and with who I understand and experience God to be. Um, and I think that so many things that we diagnose as chaotic are in actuality ordered systems that are simply too complex for us to understand that the yeah. order and operation, it eludes our faculties. And so instead I think that art for me is much more about trying to understand something on its own terms where there's there's a watching and a waiting and a seeing what emerges and and you know seeking to that the art making is 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 that there's a it's a humble attempt to create frameworks that accommodate contradiction and complex and, and complexity so for me the and the the fruits of this kind of approach include a recalibrated sense of scale uh, where I'm, I'm put in my place. I, I, I better understand both my own smallness and my own grandeur as a human being made by an untamable God. Yeah. So it's not, it's not about bringing order out of chaos. It, chaos and complexity aren't threats. They're, they're more conversation partners. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there's even an invitation to apprentice with chaos and, and participate with it. Mm -hmm. Um, if that makes any sense. Can you say one more sentence about apprenticing with chaos? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I think so. I'm I, I think about I'm a huge fan of of Ellen Davis, who's an OT prof at uh, Duke. Um, and you know, she talks about in the first chapter of Genesis and the command to uh, human beings to exercise dominion. Um, the that phrase, particularly in our current context, feels intensely problematic. Um, wow. And but she points out that the phrase is is better rendered "exercise skilled mastery," and that's predicated on an understanding of how of how each part exists within the broader whole, mm. an attunement to what each part needs to thrive um, uh, and to really bring. Uh, which changes sort of your posture uh, towards the rest of the world and towards each other that um, that there's a, that there is a study there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a really sort of intense uh, amount of attention being uh, devoted to uh, 
this this thing that we're supposed to steward where it it really ultimately is much more about uh careful gardening than Mm. than doing whatever we want with something and so i think that's that 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 those kinds of notions have have more to do with what i mean by apprenticing you know that it's that it's really it's really really paying attention to uh the way that the world is created the way that human Mm. beings are created and and these things that seem like uh places of of instability or lack of control very often i i think it has a lot more to do with the frames that we're working with are just inadequate to really understand those things as being anything other than scary (laughs) but but actually you know back to the the notion of walking i mean uh it's yeah that 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 you know, I, I was saying that it's well with walking. It's it's a human activity <clears throat> that's so common to the human experience that the word pedestrian <laughs> has come to mean ordinary, nothing worth taking yeah. note of, yeah. note of, run of the mill, even boring. Right. We walk to work. We walk to school. We walk for leisure, for exercise. We walk together. Yeah. We walk alone. We walk to pray or unwind, and yet at its most fundamental level, it's a death defying or at least injury defying activity. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because what is walking if not perpetual falling? The only thing that's keeping me from toppling headlong is this, is that second leg that catches the fall that was created by the first leg. Yeah. And, um, and then that first leg or that second leg turns and becomes a traitor uh, <laughs> because it then thrusts me forward into another free fall. Right. And so there's this kind of notion where uh, that instability, which, which often just feels really, really scary to us is the very thing that creates motion that, yeah. that makes us possible to be uh, in relationship with the world and with one another. And so, um, so, all of that to say that I, I think that there, this kind of really close study of those things that that feel out of our control, and trying to understand the way that those things are really central to the way that the universe is constructed, um, is uh, is really really important. And I mean, even the way that that music functions is it's it's predicated on on instability that's how music does what it does um that's that's the that's the reason why one chord leads to another is it it has to do with instability um and uh or you think about the way that a galaxy is constructed for example it all it's it's all spinning around this this kind of central hub of a black hole <laughs> which <laughs> which feels about as chaotic as you can get but yeah, right. but uh you know, so so it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that that I think orbit really, is falling, isn't it? I mean, from what I understand about yeah. orbit, you right, you're right, just a constant falling. That that if you, but you're also moving forward enough that it that you. I don't understand these things enough to even talk about it, but but uh, <laughs> sure, but, you know, yeah. orbit is falling. Or, or, yeah, I mean, and and walking, as you said, is just a matter of disequilibrium. 
putting yourself in a disequilibrium and then catching yourself before you fall on your face. Right. It's right. pretty remarkable. Yeah. You know, my sure. first, the first I knew of you was from a, a talk that, um, that uh, Ruth Naomi Floyd gave um, mm-hmm. earlier this year. And her talk was about dissonance, discord, some of these issues. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she cited you and she made a, a strong distinction, which again, I think she was, was uh, borrowing from you. I say borrowing it. I know you didn't invent it either, but, but the idea of that discord and dissonance aren't the same thing. That's uh, right. And I'd love to hear you talk about that. I mean, you kind of already have started down that path a little bit. It seems like. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. They, they are not synonyms in my mind. Um, and I, to, to draw a distinction, I don't think is semantic fussiness. I, right. I, uh, well, discord is all jar and clash and contention and incompatibility. Dissonance is fundamentally about motion you mm-hmm. can, and where you can have dissonance that includes occasions of discord, but it's never just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, dis- dissonance is always moving somewhere. It's the sawing off of the corner of a square so that it rolls. It's, you mm-hmm. know, the push of a swing or the crest of a wave that it's, that it's fundamentally about motion. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of reminded of, so Thelonious Monk, one of he's, he has just a book of, of incredible quips um, uh, that have been attributed to him. But, but one of the things that he, has said is that there are no wrong notes and I, you know, and maybe that's just it, that a wrong note, a wrong note becomes a right note, depending on the note that follows it. This, that second note acclimatizes the first note. It gives it a home, a context, a a place to lay its head. And you could look at it another way that a wrong note um, or what we might describe as discord is, is only ever wrong when that note stops moving, when it, Mm -hmm. when it, it sort of decides that it, that it's irredeemable, (laughs) you know, that just when, and, and so in that way, discord is an event while dissonance is passage. Uh, Dissonance is the the sort of ever unfolding story of the accommodation of contradiction. And um, so, so that's some of how I, I, I think about those distinctions and, and and again that that the I really I mean there's music isn't the certainly not the only place where dissonance is um is how is it, how instability is leveraged. Uh but it's but but it's the the medium that I'm that I know best. Right. Um and there are all kinds of dissonance. There's harmonic dissonance, melodic, intervallic, rhythmic, timbral, structural. Oh. And so you take like a Max Roach drum fill, for example, and that's that's uh, an example of rhythmic dissonance. It's the upset of a pattern mm. um, and the introduction of instability, which which propels uh, the music to beat one of the next measure. Mm. Um, and there's there's yeah, there's so many different types of discipline or excuse me dissonance that we could talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I know you're interested in city life, you know, in, in the history of Philadelphia and the 
um, or the present, <laughs> you know, the city planning, all, all these, all these issues. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea that discord is, is a, you know, as you said, discord is an event. Dissonance is a passage and yes. discord is uh discord that, that thinks of itself as irredeemable. Right. Um, and that seems, that seems pretty relevant to the life of a city as, as people come into <laughs> yeah. conflict, as people come into it, you know, as, as people with different backgrounds, interests, values come into con- conflict with one another, is that a dissonance that's going to move toward something or is that a discord that, that gives up on itself as irredeemable? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're living in a moment that's, that's, uh, where that question is, is that the stakes are pretty high, to, yeah. you know, in terms of how we answer that question. And, um, and I think that that's, yeah, that, that is really the social implications of the question are, are, are pretty intense. And I, I do think that that's a, that's a decision that each, individual in each community um needs to make you know are you willing to uh are are you willing to live with the the discomfort of instability Mm -hmm. um are you willing to sort of live in uh are you willing to create frames that 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 accommodate the instability that's inherent in something like walking, for example, mm-hmm. but there is a kind of free fall com- uh, ingredient to any kind of constructive dialogue mm-hmm. where, where you where where listening to another person involves learning where they're actually coming from as mm-hmm. opposed to deciding ahead of time where they're actually coming yeah. from. Uh, and that, that seems, seems really, really critical to any kind of uh, constructive yeah. dialogue. I, I think there's, there's a lot of hope baked into that, this idea of, of dissonance as a passage, as a movement I towards so. something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 it does feel like a, a more hopeful, a more hopeful uh, way of looking at the world and and neighbor and God and yourself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, can we change the subject to? I, I was really interested in in something you wrote about uh, John Cage's work. Do you say do you say four thirty three or do you say four minutes and thirty three seconds when you talk about that that work? Uh, I mean, I always say four minutes and thirty three seconds. But okay. Yeah, yeah, four minutes. Yeah. Uh, a work that that you said people have often thought of as sort of a, a prankish. You know, this this is the 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 work where the pianist sits down at the bench for four minutes and thirty three seconds and then and then leaves. And you sort of write a, a right, uh, without playing a note, without playing a note. Yes, yes, yes. right. Um, and you uh, you have written a, a short defense of that of that work, and and you say that it it changed your uh, 
your way of thinking about you said you, you haven't heard things the same since an encounter with that with that work you said it all becomes music mm-hmm. um, that's right could you talk about that a little bit i'd love to hear of course yeah i, I mean i i think that yeah cage's work sort of writ large and i think a lot of modern modern art modern music uh for lots of folks really feels um really feels alienating and mm-hmm. and um and militantly so um and and i in my own my initial experiences of four minutes and 33 seconds i i i too felt that way that it yeah. was it just felt uh condescending it felt like uh a, a, a middle finger to the audience you know? uh-huh. um, and and that that it's interesting this this ties into what we've been talking about already that uh that my view of that piece really was turned on its head when I encountered a different piece of John Cage, it, uh, where and use it, it. It was this televised um, uh, show of 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 where you see him. You know, he's built this huge kind of Rube Goldberg sort of. Uh, musical instrument slash performance and 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 the way that the way that he talks about it in the introduction and the way that he even the way that he performs it it completely changed my understanding of who he was and that that rather than being somebody that was uh a prankster with an overinflated sense of his own importance i encountered somebody that was filled with wonder and mm-hmm. and playful um that was that that just reveled in the the sheer fact of sound mm-hmm. and and that com- in turn completely changed the way that i heard 4 minutes and 33 seconds that it was no longer a, a giant middle finger to the audience, but it was this capacious invitation to to lean in, to listen close, to see what happens next. Um, and the four minutes and thirty three seconds just becomes the frame in which you you listen to everything that's going on, mm-hmm. and that 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 everything that is within that frame becomes it becomes the piece whether that's the crinkling of candy wrappers or whether that's car horns in the background or whatever that 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 there's a certain kind of sense in which you you're focusing on those sounds that sort of recede into the background and for us most of the time actually become forefronted and we listen to them in a new way and and through that experience it it it's sort of I think dawned on me that the 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 composer or the artist or the writer their own life becomes the the most um 
sort of the greatest and most accurate interpretive lens through which to understand their work. And which again, I think gets back to this broader, you know, question about how do we, how do we interact with each other and, 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 and are we taking the time to, to listen, to, to understand who the other is as a, as an interpretive, as a way of, of, of finding a, an interpretive rubric to understand what they're actually saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I, about a month and a half ago, I came across this, this little thing I had never noticed before in Luke and where Jesus says, pay attention to how you listen, which is such an, a curious phrase, you know, that there, that there's hearing is certainly not, uh, an activity that's guaranteed by the existence of ears, you know, that there's, mm-hmm. that there's, there is a skill involved in hearing and that there, that that's a skill that can be strengthened over time. Um, and that's a skill that, well, it's, <laughs> it doesn't just happen is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Something yeah. that needs to be cultivated. Um, and when you think about the training of a musician, for example, there's just years and years and years that's devoted to, and, and not that this ever stops, but but so much of the work of being a musician is devoted to learning how to hear, just mm-hmm. like so much of the work of an artist is devoted to learning how to see. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't just happen. Yeah. Um, so there are so many ways that our brain fills in gaps that you mm-hmm. that sometimes it feel like feels like a, a large part of the artist's work is to instead of letting their brain fill in the gaps to see the gaps or to see what's actually there, you know, th- think about Absolutely. a photographer, you know, when I, when I look at a, look through a, a viewfinder of a camera and there's a shadow that cuts directly across the frame, I don't notice it because I'm not a photographer and I, I don't pay You know, I, my brain fills in and, and I don't notice there's a shadow there because of the way my brain has filled things in. Whereas the photographer Absolutely. sees it and knows what to do about it, you know, knows what to make of it, whether that's to use that shadow or to reframe so they don't have the shadow or, uh, and I completely uh, agree. As I was, you know, reading what you wrote about, about John Cage, I, I, I sort of thought about, you know, we, we are trained to, or, or not trained, our, one way or another, we ignore the candy wrapper or we're annoyed by the candy wrapper or the, or our, you know, fellow congregant who's coughing or, or, or whatever, right. instead yes. of, you know, doing something with it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. I mean, I, my brother is, he's a, a really remarkable filmmaker and, and, but his, well, I think part of the reason why he's a really remarkable filmmaker <laughs> is that his, all of his training was in, uh, was as a painter, visual mm-hmm. artist. And, and uh, he's also an extraordinary painter but years and years ago, we were we were driving around, and I uh, and it was rainy, and and I I asked him, so when you talk about learning how to see, what does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. And and he said, okay, so for example, you know, we're driving around. What, what color is the road right now? I said, well, it's it's gray. And he said, no, it's not gray. Look at it more closely. And and as you do, as you do, I mean, you start to see. Oh, actually, there's there's blues and there's yellow and there's mm. there's a little bit of red and there's there's you know, 
there's all of these things that that kind of come into view as you begin to really focus on on something and and i'm reminded of mary oliver talking about she says to pay attention this is our endless and proper work mm-hmm. and that that work of attention of really really noticing of 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 understanding the compo- all of the composites that make the whole mm-hmm. um, is just so important. And I think so much of the work of that's involved in art making is it really has to do with that of, of, of noticing yeah. all the, all the, all the things that our brain sort of automatically synthesizes to mean one thing, mm-hmm. but can we actually backtrack and, and look at all the parts and, and can that one thing actually mean something different? Mm-hmm. That's and, so good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I think it, yeah, it is interesting how all this sort of ties together. Um, all these themes are, are interwoven and connected. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One last topic. Um, that is, um, in, in one of your pieces, again, on, on your, one of your short little pieces on, on your website, you talk about, um, Something that that the artist Anne Hamilton said it, mm-hmm. about an installation that that I guess somewhere in New York City, I think. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. The and she said she she remarked it happened because a space was made to make it happen, and right. she was you know I think specifically talking about somebody with some authority in the city you know made a space for her to make this this piece of art. Um, yeah. And yet you, you have said um, that's become your working manifesto, that things happen when you right. make space to make them happen. This is a, right. a podcast for people who, who make art. And so I'd love to hear you talk about what it means to, to make space to make, uh, to make art happen. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that there is, Certainly in my own experience, it's not <laughs> the crush of life and all of the responsibilities and all the sort of um, day-to-day uh, coming and going. That there is there is an intention that that needs to be brought to bear if mm-hmm. if you're if you're wanting to 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 make art. Um, and and I don't, I mean, I think there is something really, really critical about creating literal and temporal space for for art making. Mm-hmm. But I think even even in the way that you are approaching all of the the uh, coming and going and all the interruptions and and mm-hmm. you know, is that are those things slotting into this? this larger kind of way of trying to understand uh well back to the theme of chaos <laughs> trying to understand the chaos of of our everyday and um and so there's in terms of space there's also i think a a uh a necessary cognitive framing you know that that's involved in 
and how are we how are we interpreting um the day-to-day and i don't think that creative work is 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 only for those that that have the time or the money mm-hmm. or are in the the life stage to to be able to have just sort of an idyllic studio in the woods to to <laughs> write or to or compose or to paint um i i uh but I do, yeah, I do, I do think that there is, there, those kinds of spaces do need to be protected. Um, I'm sorry, which created. kind of spaces? Are you saying temporal and physical space need to be protected? Or are you talking temporal, about physical and cognitive space, cognitive space. Um, and, and spiritual space that, that there is trying to to take stock of what are the things in in my life that 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 impede in attention that that sort of work that Mary Oliver talks about um and uh it, yeah for me the list is long of of you know things that 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 call for attention and and so that so if i start looking at at my my day to day through that lens of of all of the things that demand my attention mm-hmm. then then there are choices that that are there to be made you know and and every choice is a renunciation so whatever i say yes to that means i'm saying no to other things um and if whatever i say no to means a yes to something else so um bringing bringing that kind of framing to um to the days uh i mean every everybody has you know we all have our to-do lists but there are all these little kind of pockets of time and attention that uh yeah we either decide to do something with it or or it's decided what we do with it by some somebody else um or something else and so i think that's that's part of what i mean by creating protections um, around, yeah, uh, well, I love that idea of, of protecting cognitive space, um, and perhaps redeeming cognitive space by saying, again, this, this candy wrapper that's rattling over here, I can be annoyed or I can ignore it or I can pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We have, we have choices there. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's a really wonderful documentary called Touch the Sound that I would highly recommend. Okay. Uh it's about a percussionist named Evelyn Glennie, uh, who phenomenal percussionist, but she she also happens to be profoundly deaf. And mm-hmm. she began to lose her hearing when she um in early adolescence and had the really good fortune of having a, a music teacher that was was sort of walking with her through that process and so he would have her stand at the other end of the music room and and uh and he'd play like little c for example on the piano and he would say okay where where do you feel that and she would like point to her wrist and see i I kind of feel it right around here and then and then and then he basically did that through the whole range of the piano and 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 she she learned to map sound all over her body and that's and amazing it, it is it is amazing <laughs> and 
And what's fascinating is it really turns on its head what it means to perceive sound. She, there's this one point uh, where she's, she talks about how you hear with your ears, I hear with my entire body. So which one of us hears better, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, and, and I, and I raised that just to, just to talk about how I, yeah, I, I came, I emerged from that, uh, watching that documentary the same way that once I, once I, my understanding of John Cage was reframed, everything, I listened to everything differently. Um, that there is this kind of every sound that happens is a, is an invitation to pay attention. And, and, and yeah, it does reframe how you think about interruption and distraction and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's this sort of like, uh, cognitive jujitsu that ends up happening <laughs> if that makes any sense well i i appreciate this reminder to 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 treat everything as an invitation to to pay attention you know flannery connor yeah. said the writer shouldn't be afraid to stare because everything is worthy of a writer's attention and um, <laughs> that's beautiful yeah and so I like uh, a lot. i'm hearing some of these same things from you so maybe we better wrap it up there but uh Joshua Stamper, thank you so much for for being here. This has been been just great to, to hear your your thoughts about some things I just don't spend any time thinking about. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for the invite. It's been it's been really fun. The Habit Podcast is brought to you by the Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.